um, to Psalm 90. Psalm 90 is going to be our text uh, for today. So it's New Year's, right? Everyone knows that. Happy New Year to everyone. And we talked about this um, some during Sunday school. And it was interesting just to listen to because as we, it's always as we finish out a year, we ended 2021, and now we step into New Year. Um, I think it, it does. I think it does something psychologically to us. There's suddenly we become really aware of time. I don't think I'm the only one, but even if we don't do this whole New Year's resolution thing or any of that, we still become very aware of time. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about about time. And was it? I think it was maybe a week ago or two weeks ago. I heard a couple guys from from church here who were talking about their business and the year-end inventory. Um, And that was something that actually came up during Sunday school is someone had mentioned the thought of you you take the time, you look back at the past year and the things that you learned, the things that you did right, the things that you did wrong, and you learn from those, and then that gives us direction moving into into the future. Um, and as I, as I thought about the last year, um, last two years, three years, well, however long you want to, but especially the last year, each one of us looks back at last year and we see good things. We see good things that God did. We see good things that happened in our lives, in our lives, but we also see things that were really hard. We experienced things that were really hard. We experienced change. We experienced things that were uncertain. But as we look back, one thing is for sure, and that is you can't go back and do it over. Whatever you did yesterday, whatever you said yesterday, or even this morning, you can't go back and do it over. Life doesn't sometimes be nice if it worked that way, but it just doesn't. It doesn't work that way. But we can learn and we can grow as we move into the future. So if we want to learn from the past, we want to learn from the things that we experienced last year, the good things and the bad, if we want to learn from those, how do we do that? How does Scripture teach us how to do that? In Psalm 90, I'm going to actually take the time to read the whole psalm. And as we read, as we read through this text, I, I want you to take careful note of all the references to time um, as we read through Psalm 90. And then we'll come back and talk about a couple things in Psalm 90. This is a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or even, or, I'm sorry, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. 
You have set our iniquities before you and our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath, and we bring our years to an end with a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. But their span is but the toil, is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. For who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may gain, get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as you have seen evil, as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. The verse that I really want us to key on is verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. The title of what I want to share with you is simply that, a heart of wisdom. And if anything, if verse 12 tells us anything about a heart of wisdom, it means that wisdom comes from learning. It comes from God teaching us what wisdom is. And one of those ways is how we number our days. Um, Here, it's been a number of years ago, I came across a study This is a group of sociologists. It's not a Christian study at all. Um, But they did a study where they interviewed a whole bunch of people who were 95 and over. That's that's getting pretty old. But 95 and over, and they simply, they asked them one question. And I, I, I wonder what you guys would say if someone would ask you this question. But this was the question that they asked these 95 year olds. If you could live your life again, what would you do differently? Very simple question. And the responses they, that came back were all across the board, but they, they all kind of boiled down to three different things. And I think the answers that these people gave um, can actually teach us some of what it means to get a heart of wisdom. The first thing they said was you should reflect more. The second thing they said, you should take more risks, or that they would take more risks. The third thing was that they would do more that would live on after they're gone. So it's hard to remember. So I I tried to, to, how could I summarize it a little bit better? But I'll give you three R words that maybe you can, maybe it'll click something in your head or in your brain that you can actually remember these three. The first one is reflect. The second one is risk. And the third one is redeem. The three R's that can help us get that heart of wisdom. So I just want to go through each of those here briefly. Reflect. And this actually came up during our discipleship hour, and I love that because reflecting is something that um, is really, really important in our lives. Why is it so important? I just wrote down a couple of, couple of reasons why I believe it's so important 
that we reflect. And when we, when we reflect, I think what we need to do is we need to stop. We need to stop, first of all, or we can't actually reflect. But when we take the time to reflect, it causes us to slow down and to catch our breath. We live in a very, very fast-paced world, right? I don't think I need to tell anyone that. We, we do. But in the struggle with that is if we're not being productive, we feel like we're, we're being, I don't know, we're wasting time. But I don't think that's the case. Taking time can be, to reflect can be difficult, but if we're going to take that time, we need to be really intentional with it. It's not going to happen in that, in that fast pace of life. We need to be intentional. Another reason we need to stop and reflect is it gives us perspective. Perspective is everything. How we perceive the world around us, how we perceive the events in our lives, how we perceive things that people say to us, all those things, how we perceive it becomes our reality. And sometimes we need to stop and reflect because it gives us maybe a different perspective. Maybe we need to stop and see, so what is God's perspective in the things that are taking place in our lives? Is my perspective skewed? Reflection allows us to do that. But what do we reflect on? So I invite your attention again back to Psalm 90. Four things that I think it's important that we reflect on, and I I think we can gather those from the verses um, that we just read. If you noticed, as we read down through there, the first 11 verses are kind of, kind of this theme of, this is actually the only psalm that is attributed to Moses, but Moses is, is kind of has this theme about, it's almost, it almost feels negative. He starts out with a positive, but then it's really negative about how frail we are and all of that. And then he comes to verse 12 and he, it shifts. In verse 12, it, that, that shift happens and it becomes a prayer. And that prayer from 12, verse 12 on, reflect back, I believe, on the things that he's talked about in the first 11 verses. So he starts with our first thing that we should reflect on. In the first two verses, God talks, or he talks about the everlasting God. He says, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. So there's something, it's not just for one generation or the previous generation. It's for all generations. It's for my generation. It's for your generation. It's for the generations that are coming after us. That God is our dwelling place in that that place of refuge. But the last part of verse 2, he says, From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Have you ever tried to wrap your own mind or tried to tell your children, explain to your children that God is eternal, that God never had a beginning, that God never has an end? Have you ever tried to explain that to someone? It's just like our minds can't comprehend that. Um, It blows our mind, but Tozer says it this way. He says it's from vanishing point. If you look at horizon, the horizon, we can see... I don't know how far, 20-some miles maybe with the naked eye that we can see. I'm not quite sure. But how, if you're on top of a mountain as far as you can see, but you know that beyond that there's more. From that vanishing point, you turn around and you look the other way to that vanishing point beyond that. 
God was on either end of that. God's from vanishing point to vanishing point. And there's a great security when we reflect on the eternity of God and that he is our dwelling place from generation to generation to generation because he is eternal. It gives us an incredible amount of security. And the next thing, and why, man, why that's so huge that we can trust in a God who is eternal is I think there's a call for us to reflect on the frailty of man. Now, when, when we're feeling good, we don't really think about it, but when we get sick, we realize how much we appreciate health, right? But every one of us is extremely frail and fragile. Look how he describes us in verses 3 and 4, um, and then on down through, he gives us some descriptions. He says, we return to dust. So this is, and then a thousand years in God's eyes, in God's sight, are as like a day to us, or just as a watch in the night. We're swept away with, by a flood. Um, over in verse 10, our years are, are of our life are 70, or for really strong, maybe 80. <clears throat> The life expectancy, I didn't, even, I didn't look this up, but the life expectancy even now is, is somewhere right in that range. When I think about that, like even if it's 85, I'm like, I'm over halfway through. Most of you, that's if I live a long life. Most of you are close to that. Maybe some of you are over halfway. Some of you, if you're 16 or, or, or 18, you probably think that's like, way out there, right? But our lives are but a breath of wind. You see, he describes it as grass that springs up on a mountainside. So a shepherd in Israel um, would take his sheep out early in the morning up on the mountainsides that look completely barren. But with the cool of the night and the dew that's on the ground at the night, grass, little bits of grass would be springing up on those mountainsides, and they would take their sheep up there to graze. But by the time the afternoon sun hits that, it is withered away and it's gone. It's a little bit different here in our, in our lives, but we, we've seen severe droughts. Everything just turns to nothing. That is how he describes our life. Now, you compare that with a God who is from vanishing point to vanishing point, and we, we see our frailty, we realize how desperately we need that God who is so eternal. <clears throat> so I think it's good that we reflect on our frailty. And if you go down to verses 7 and 8, I think it's good that we reflect on our own lives and the, even the sin in our lives. We don't like talking about the sin in our lives. But there's something powerful that happens in our lives when we see our own sinfulness in a very real and a very honest way. It brings us to our knees. It causes us, it brings humility in our lives. He says the iniquities, our iniquities are set before him, and even the secret sins are brought out in, light of, in the light of his presence. Um, this is, some scholars believe that Moses wrote this during the events of Numbers 14. Um, so maybe this afternoon, go back and read Numbers 14. But in Numbers 14, 
It's where the, the spies have come back from the land of Canaan. You had the two guys that gave a good report, but the ten that gave this terrible, awful report and discouraged the people. And so the people rebelled against God. And from that, Moses inter- God was going to wipe them out. Moses intercedes. And then God says, this whole generation is going to pass away in the wilderness. Remember how that account goes? Only those that were 20 and younger lived to actually go in and see the promised land. And I wonder if all that talk about time, our frailty, how, long, how short our life is, began to look really real to Moses. And maybe that's, I don't know if that's for sure where it, where it comes from, but somewhere along the line it's possible that Moses began thinking about that. But as we reflect on our lives and how we live our lives, what you see there in Numbers 14 is also true in our lives, is if I live in sin, it affects me, but it doesn't only affect me. It affects the generations coming after me, my children, what they see in my life, your children, what they see, are impacted directly or indirectly by the sin in your life. So reflecting allows us to take inventory of our lives, to sit and allow God to speak, to reveal those parts of our lives. And as we do that, and we see our brokenness and our sinfulness, we then can reflect on the grace and the mercy of God. You see that coming through, um, I believe it's in in verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. That comes from a heart that has been redeemed and set free and is reflecting on the mercy and the grace of God. So it's important that we take the time to reflect. How do you do that? I would love to hear, just hear responses. I wonder what you would say. If I, how do you take the time to reflect? Um, some of you, I know from talking to you, will do it when you're sitting in a tree stand, out just in complete silence. It gives you an opportunity to reflect. Something in that being in nature allows you to commune with God. One thing's for sure, I believe we need to take the time to sit in silence. Another way we do it practically is to journal. It's something I don't do well, but I do it, try to do it sometimes. And when I do, I find it incredibly healing and even revealing about what's going on in my own heart. When you write something, it sticks. When you, when you write it, it really sticks in your mind and in your heart. So when you reflect on all the, some of those things that we talked about, jot those down, write them down, because it really reveals the things that are going on in our hearts. All right, so we've got to keep moving. We reflect, first of all. The second R is we risk. We risk more. I'm not talking about the adrenaline junkie kind of risk. Some of you guys are much more adrenaline um, risk-taking guys than I am, but that, that's, that's great. Um, you think about skydiving, paragliding, bungee jumping, some of those things I would think would be neat to try, but I'm totally fine if I never do them. It's okay. Um, those, are, those things seem very risky, or whatever, whatever it might be. 
I'm one who enjoys things, who likes things to be stable. But there's a, there's a, I think there's a danger in that. I see that in my own life. It's a danger as well. So why should we risk? It's not a popular idea, perhaps, in our, our culture at large, but maybe especially in our Western Christian culture. Let me, just, let me just try to explain that. We focus so much on consumerism and our desire to maximize our comfort and security. Those are things that are really important to us. And that's okay. I'm, I'm incredibly grateful to do it, to do it for it. We'll do whatever it takes to avoid pain and discomfort. <clears throat> in our country and certainly in our subculture, I'm talking subculture, I'm talking here in our Holmes County culture, it's really easy to be a Christian. Do you ever think of that? It's really easy. Because you can profess Christ, <clears throat> profess Christ in your life, you can profess Jesus as the Lord of your life, and it probably won't cost you a thing, at least visibly. It does cost us dearly if we're, if we're really, truly following. But it's really, really easy to follow Christ. <clears throat> and I'm incredibly grateful. I'm incredibly grateful for our, for our heritage. I'm grateful for our freedom. But I also believe that it brings a danger. And this is where I, because I see it happening in my own life. Perhaps one of the greatest dangers that me, the church faces or we as individuals face here in our freedom is our, and in our desire to be comfortable is that when we desire comfort and security now at the cost of following Jesus, at the loss of following Jesus at all costs, we're living with an earthly mindset and not from an eternal perspective. And it's so easy. Like I said, this is, this is my struggle. This is my battle it's so easy to be lulled into complacency because it can be so easy. It's so easy for us to say, I am a, I'm a Christian, yeah, I follow Jesus. And we can be, become very complacent because it doesn't demand much of us. But think about this. Stephen, Stephen Neal said this about the early church, and this is also true for many, many, many believers across the world today. Every Christian knew I'm quoting here, every Christian knew that sooner or later he might have to testify to his faith at the cost of his life. That's true all across our world today. A persecuted believer, in a book I just, just read, a persecuted believer said something along this line, that the risk of being caught and, the, and being persecuted isn't the big risk. The biggest risk is not following or laying down life, my life for, at the, um, for the cause of Christ, De- talking about what Jesus said in Mark chapter 8. If anyone would come after him, me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his own soul? What can a man give in return for his soul. So what is the risk? <clears throat> what risk am I taking? What risk are you taking to follow Jesus? Fear can keep us from taking risks for Jesus. So I struggle with this. 
Sometimes it's the fear of losing our comfort or a reputation or whatever it may be. But I really struggle with this because how do you and I take risks for Jesus in a world and a culture that seems to require, where it's, let's just, let me just say, easy to be a Christian? Understand what I'm saying when I say it's easy as far as the cost to the world around us. There is no easy in what Jesus said in Mark 8. There is no easy to denying ourselves and laying down our own lives. That's not the, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in relation to the people around us, how it affects and reflects them. And sometimes I don't quite, I don't know. I don't know what risk looks like because it doesn't cost me, it doesn't cost me perhaps the safety of my family. That's not a risk for me. That's, that's not there. So what, what risks can you and I take? How can you and I, even in our, the world that you and I live in today, how can we take risks for Jesus? In Matthew 14, it gives the account where Peter, um, Jesus comes walking out on the water. The disciples are in the boat. And Peter, they, they start freaking out. And Jesus tells them, tells Peter, Look, it's me. And Peter said, well, if it's you, then tell me to come to you. So part of maybe taking a risk is doing what Peter did, is we love the safety and the security of the boat. But all of us, in some way in our lives, are asked to take that step out of the boat. I don't know what that looks like for you, but it could be. I had written down some things here, if I can, if I can lay my eyes on it. <clears throat> Daily steps in our lives that cause our faith to grow. It is faith in our lives is, a, is something that is an action. If we don't act on it, is it really faith is, is what I wonder sometimes. But it can be anything from your career, ending your career, starting a new career. It can be so hard. What, what, risks, what risks do you need to take to follow Jesus? What risk is God asking you to take? I'm just going to leave it at that, and I want you to think about it. What risk, and maybe you could, maybe you could ask the, say it as, what step of faith is God asking you to take next? I don't, it, can be, it can be a big thing, it can be a small thing, but one step of faith, one step at a time, I believe is, is a way that we can take risks for following Jesus. And even if we don't know what the next step looks like or the next step after that, um, years ago, I watched. Um, I'm not sure. Did we introduce this to our family then or not? An Indiana Jones movie. I don't know how many of you like Indiana Jones, but way back in the day, that those were those were cool, and I liked watching them. But there was one Indiana Jones movie where, if I can remember it right, there there were he was in a cave. There was a there was a, a drop off that was I mean hundreds of feet down. You fall, you're dead. But it was some way to get, I think it was to the Holy Grail or something. But the directions were you had to walk along this ledge, but along that ledge there were no steps. But the instructions to get to the other side or get to where he needed to go was that when you take your step, you put your step out, boom, all of a sudden the step appeared. But it wasn't until his foot went out over the edge and he went down on that that the step actually appeared. Sometimes... 
our walk with Christ can feel like that. We don't know what we don't know what it looks like. We don't even see the step, maybe what it looks like or what it's going to where it's going to lead. But perhaps the risk that God is asking you to take today is simply take that next step. <clears throat> and then thirdly, so we reflect reflect and we risk and then we redeem. We redeem the time. That's something that um, Paul talks about in some of his writings is redeeming the time because the days are evil. But what does it mean to actually redeem the time? When I'm talking about one of the ways that we redeem time is what that group of 95-year-olds says is that we live a life that lives on after we're gone. How do we do that? How do you live a life that's going to live on once you are gone? Does it mean you need to be a missionary in the Congo? or in some Brazilian rainforest? Maybe. I, I hope to no end, and I pray that there are people here who are going to end up in places like that, who God will take to those places. And you can go there, and you can live a life that's going to live on long after you're gone, but can you today, the life that you're living today, right now, can you live a life that will live on once you're gone? One of the ways that I believe that we can do that is through influence. Influence is the capacity that you have to affect the character development or the behavior of someone else. There's not a person sitting in here today who isn't an influencer. Every single one of you is influencing someone, someone else that you are in contact with in your life. True influence invests in the lives of people. Influence is an emotional connection with people. It goes hand in hand with a relationship with people. So the relationships that we build in our lives, how we live our lives on a day-to-day basis, whether you're a contractor, how you treat your customers, the integrity that you deal have in your business dealings, those display the value that you have in your the values that you have in your life. As an image bearer of Christ, you influence those people to follow Christ or for Christ. As a mom, I've watched my wife do this over and over and over again. Laundry, does that ring a bell? You do it, and then you do it again, and then you do it again, and then you do it again. Young moms, you're changing diapers. It seems absolutely endless. And yet, do you ever stop and think about how you are displaying the selfless love of Jesus to your family. It's very subconscious, and maybe it feels indirect, but you are sending a message to your children, to your family, to the people around you. As a waitress, a construction worker, if you're sitting at a computer, it doesn't matter. As a student, you are leaving an example. You are influencing someone. I love the way he ends this psalm. In verse 17, he says, Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. That word establish means simply to direct. The work of your hands, the things that you are doing on a day-to-day-to-day basis, God is the one who directs those. And when he directs those things in your lives, you will influence and you will be 
um, an influencer for Jesus in your life, and you will redeem your time. Think about people in your life who have influenced you, maybe people who have gone on before you that you knew who have gone on, who have passed away, whose legacy lives on in your life. If you think about those people, think about what it is that lives on in you. What, what part of that person that you're thinking about is living on? Was it how much wealth he accumulated? It's something with the integrity, maybe the integrity that person lived with. One of those people in my life who I didn't even know really well, Marcus would know him incredibly well, was Leroy Yoder. Um, he was a teacher at SMBI years ago. I mean, he's, he's passed away, I don't know how many years ago already. But I remember, I remember him growing up, hearing him speak at revival meetings at, at Sharon when we were there. And I loved hearing him, but I had the privilege to sit in one of his classes. And one of the things that, that forever will stick with me from him, the little, little bit of interaction that I had with him, is it was incredibly apparent by the life that he lived that things in this world meant absolutely nothing to him. The only thing that mattered to him was the things that were eternal. His relationship with God, the people that were around him, and bringing people and drawing them into a relationship with Jesus. That's what mattered. And he didn't even have to say that every day. It was simply the life that he lived. You and I can live that kind of life. And when we do that, we redeem the time. Because redeeming the time is making the absolute best use of those 40, 70, 80, 90, whatever years that we have. We redeem the time. We use those to influence, to live for something and someone who is much bigger and much greater than ourselves. So teach us to number our days so that we may get, or get, get a heart of wisdom. As you do that going into this next year of your life, I encourage you, maybe you have already, but sometime take the time just to sit down and reflect on your life, what God has done through you, what God is doing in you, what he's done in the past. Reflect on his faithfulness in the past and allow God to grow you as a person and in your relationship with him in the coming year. Risk. More than bungee jumping. What risk can you take for God in this coming year? And take that step of faith. And redeem the time. Every day, you are leaving a legacy. Every one of you, every one of us is leaving some kind of legacy. So never underestimate the influence that you are having in someone's life. So you reflect, you risk, and you redeem in the coming year, the year ahead of us. Thank you for your attention. Um, would you stand with me? We'll have prayer, and then they're going to come sing a closing song for us yet. <clears throat> God, as we...